We're running slightly late, but we'll still be finished by half past, I promise you. Up until uh, the end of April on Sunday mornings, we're looking at some of the statements Jesus made in the Gospels. And this week, I want us to look at John 20, uh, 19 to 23. It's quite exciting because so much of what's been shared already, uh, we've either sung about or it's been shared this morning and um, in other ways, which is great. So, John 20, verse 19, it should be on the screen. Uh, On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you, give, if you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now, just to be clear, um, I nearly left off that last verse. Uh, it can be quite controversial, difficult to understand, um, and to do justice will take to it will take longer than I have this morning. But that said, I felt as I was preparing, convicted, um, that to leave it off doesn't do justice to, to Scripture, and, and it's kind of ducking the issue, um, and I, I wouldn't be handling the Word of God correctly, so it's in there, and we'll unpack it a little bit later, but, but not too much. Um, you see, one of the problems when we preach, when we, we, we take a snippet out of, out of a few verses from here or there, is we can certainly easily take them out of context. We, 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 we preach our heart out, but we've got to understand the context they're in to get the right flow and so on, what's being meant. So that's what I'm trying to do. So my, uh, before I've got, I've got three points to come, but actually I want to do an introduction in, on context. What's the context of these few verses? This is just after the resurrection. Jesus has just risen from the dead. Okay? That's pretty special. A very special moment. And Mary had gone to the tomb and he wasn't there. And right outside the tomb, in the garden, uh, she meets Jesus, but she doesn't recognize him. She thought he was the gardener. But then he speaks her name and he says, Mary. And at once she knows it's Jesus. And he told her, go and tell the disciples that you have seen me and that I'm ascending to my Father and your Father to my God and your God. (coughs) And Mary did, as Jesus had asked her. And so in, in verse 19, where we started reading, this is speaking into that moment. This is the same day. This is the evening of that event. This is the day Jesus rose from the dead. First day of the week. (coughs) And all the disciples, apart from Thomas, were together. And uh, you know what it's like when you've got a group of people in a room? The doors are locked. Okay? Perhaps it's getting a bit... You know? It's usually when you get a bunch of guys together in a room, everybody... Jean certainly tells me when she comes in afterwards, she'll go, ooh, let's open the windows. And, And all of that stuff. Um... So it's one of those moments, you know, they're in there, the doors are locked, Uh, probably the windows are shut. They they were scared, these guys are scared, they're they're fearing that the Jewish, uh, fear the Jewish authorities who who just made the Romans crucify Jesus, they're scared of them. This isn't a good time. Do do you know those times when everything goes wrong? Do Do you ever have those? Yeah? 
you know, all your best plans have failed in a spectacular way. Have that ever happened? Your hopes have been dashed and the, the people you're beginning to rely on have let you down? Yeah? Has that ever happened to you? If it hasn't, it probably will. Well, think about how that made you feel for a minute. Just think about how, you know, that feeling of fed upness. Do you, do you ever have those feelings of fed upness? It's like, oh, nothing seems to work. I'm fed up. We, we all have that. That's part of the human condition. We all have those things from time to time. And we have to handle our emotions and our feelings. And, and, and you know, these guys are there. And I'm sure it's, they're, they're not happy bunnies. If you multiply up how you've ever felt, they're probably feeling like that and worse. And it's not just one of them, it's the whole group. So you can imagine them really helping one another. Come to our house and let's share the gloom together. Have you ever been in that environment? I've been in one or two of those and you think, let me out of here. Because what happens is, you know, somebody come along and said, God, it's really tough, isn't it? Oh, yeah, it's really bad. Before, oh, yeah, it's terrible. No, it's even worse. And before long, you're reinforcing the pain. You're reinforcing the lack of faith. You're going, oh, am I speaking to anybody? Happens. And so we just get sucked into an atmosphere of fear and gloom. And despondency and perhaps a bit of anger. The whole group can't see a way forward. They've left everything to follow Jesus. And it would appear that all of them, apart from John, had deserted Jesus as he hung on the cross. Perhaps in their fear they'd watch Jesus die from a distance. But but now Jesus is dead. They've spent the best part of three years with Jesus. Now he's, he's dead. All their hopes have been dashed. And they'd not been there for him. At the end, they're scared now that the Jews are going to make sure that any other followers of Jesus will suffer the same fate. And so, this is a whole bunch of broken people and the doors are locked. That's the context. A whole bunch of broken people and the doors are locked. And then into the midst of this, into the atmosphere... This gloomy, faithless atmosphere. Mary starts banging on the door and she says, I've seen Jesus. He's risen from the dead and and she gives them the message. How do you think they respond? Oh, great. How how do you think they respond? I I would imagine there's a, a few things kick off like cynicism. Anybody ever have any of that? Um, ridicule unbelief not daring to believe it could be true or even hope it could be true I think the message that Mary brought probably just added to their confusion they're struggling anyway they've gone through this total emotional upheaval and now this Mary they know (coughs) no reason to think she'd, she'd lie but they're struggling do you ever struggle? See, the point, why am I unpacking this? Because I I want you to understand that these are ordinary broken guys struggling. And so, you know what? We're part of that. We're, We're people lost in sin. The whole world struggles. We can struggle. Things go wrong. I, I, I often find 
you know, Christians will say, I'm a Christian now, everything should work. <laughs> no, we live in a broken world, we live in a fallen world, and we're going to have times when things don't work, when things aren't going right, when everything's hard work. And they, they were struggling with that. And, and how we respond at those negative times. You know, as a church leader, people come to you and, and say, they always expect me to have a, a, a word of faith. Just like Simon always has. You know, Jody will know. When, when, you know, when things are going wrong, Simon's always full of faith. And Yeah? No. Okay. Right. <laughs> you, you see, just, you know, you, you can catch anybody at a bad day. Gene says, what people, if people catch me wrong, I become rude. I, I'm not aware of it. That's even more worrying, <laughs> right? But, but what happens, you, you, you operate out of your frustration, where you're at emotionally. We all do that from time to time. Well, these guys are in that situation, and it's, it's terrible. They're confused, they're frustrated. And a few hours later, while they're pondering all of this, the doors locked out of fear. We're told that Jesus came and stood among them. He didn't knock on the door and ask to be let in. He was suddenly just there with them. <laughs> Can you imagine the moment? I mean, you're not normal. you don't normally have people walk through doors, just appear in your group. The, the whole thing, the extremes of emotion, the, the high... The, the, the highs and the lows, the, the depth of frustration, the, the agony, the loss, the hopelessness. And then the message and the ridicule and the uncertainty and the doubt. And then suddenly Jesus is there and he hasn't come through the door. Oh, do, do you, do, do, how would you feel? Jesus very wise. Of course he's Jesus, he would be, but... He says, peace be with you. That's probably the first thing they needed. Peace. Don't worry. Be at peace. A true translation of the Greek just says, peace to you. Peace to you. You know when you get frustrated, do you ever, John, do you ever get sort of really, oh, and, and, and all your family just be at peace. <laughs> Is that how it works? <laughs> peace to you. It happens like that in every home, doesn't it? Just be at peace. Not a problem. Well, it's not really because we all get irritated. And, but Jesus comes and says, peace to you. All of you, peace to this group. Oh, probably he's speaking Hebrew. And actually what he says is, shalom. I was looking up, I mean, the word shalom, we don't, we, we translate it as peace, but actually it's a much bigger word than peace. It's, it's, it's a much bigger word than peace. It is, we translate it as peace, but it's peace, it's rest, it's completeness, it's everything's okay. Shalom. And that's where he starts. Shalom. Oh, and you can imagine Jesus bringing his shalom in, in to the midst. He, do you remember? He's, he's in another place. He says, "My peace I give to you. My shalom I give to you. I will leave it with you." He comes and says, "Shalom. Let me give you this. 
Oh, how we need Jesus to bring us his peace. How we need Jesus in a busy, disturbed, frustrating world to come and go, Shalom. In your family situation, in your worries, in your job stuff, whatever it is, in your relationship conflicts, all the confusion of life, shalom. Oh, we need that, don't we? All the time. All the time. And he shows them the the marks in his hands where the nails have gone in. He says, look, here's the wound in my side. And we're told that disciples are just overjoyed when they saw him. Can you imagine the two extremes of emotion? You're in the pit. You're in the worst pit you've ever been in. And in a moment, you go to the highest high. Can you imagine that? That The extreme of loss and fan. Hopeless and full of hope. Wow. Sad, full of joy. That's what they went through. From total despair, everything suddenly turned around. What a moment. And so Jesus repeats himself and he goes, Shalom. Have some peace, have some rest. All is well. All is well. Oh, isn't that lovely? It's wonderful. And we haven't got to my three points yet. And then he says these amazing words. To these broken men who'd been in the pit of despair just a few minutes earlier, he says this, he says, As the Father sent me, I'm sending you. You know, you'd think that at least have a good worship session first and get in the mood. Don't, don't, you, don't you think that would be good? Do, do, you, you know, you, do, you, do you ever have, you think, well, I need to stir up my faith so you... Do, do you know what I'm talking about? We love worship songs. Do, do you ever put worship songs on just to lift the mood? Yeah? Some of you. you, you you're looking for something just to lift you up. But Jesus just said, shalom, twice. It's me. Okay, and then he says this profound thing, as the Father sent me, which is profound, I'm sending you. At that moment, they knew their calling, their destiny, their purpose, and they haven't had any preparation. Yes, Jesus has taught them for three years, but it's not like they got into a place of, Hi, and then there's a prophetic word and they go, oh, it's right in the gloom. Bang! Here's the truth. Wow. I love it. I love it. And so, into that context, I've got three points, or three questions that won't take very long to answer, or to work through. Sent by whom? Sent to do what? And how are we to do it? Sent by whom? At At the very heart of understanding who we are, as the church of Jesus Christ on earth, of who we are here in Jubilee Church Teesside, is the understanding that we are a sent people, an apostolic people. Raj preached a great sermon a few weeks ago on Matthew 18, 18 to 20. Do you remember it? Sorry, Raj, nobody seems to remember it. Anybody remember it? About going. Hmm. 
Let me read those, that, that verse to you. Jesus says in Matthew 28, All authority, this is huge, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Okay, I've got the authority. Now you go. Let me give you that same authority. I give you authority to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely, and surely I am with you always. To, very, to the very end of the age. So the, the, the promise with that is like Jesus comes into their gloom. He comes into their situation. The promise on, on the, the Matthew one is, I am with you like that always to the end of the age. I, I'm not going to leave you. I'm, I'm with you. It'll be my spirit. But I'm like that. I bring my shalom, my peace, my hope, my comfort, and my commission. We are a people sent by Jesus into the whole world. And we need to understand that he sends, Jesus sends us the same, in the same way that the Father sent Jesus. He sends us with the same motives and with the same purposes. And yet we also, just like the disciples, are broken people. I find this such a comfort because if God can use broken people, he can use me. If God can use broken people, he can use you. No one's excluded because we're all broken and we all fall short of the glory of God. Yeah? You know, I'd love to think when I got born again, I was totally, totally perfect. Like Simon. Sorry. I'd love to think that I, I, every, every physical ailment, every, everything that wasn't perfect in me physically, spiritually and emotionally was suddenly made brand new and perfect. It didn't happen that way. We have in these, the Bible says in, it's Corinthians or somewhere, it, it says we have this treasure in jars of clay. Imperfect. Cracked old pots, if you like. Any cracked old pots? Be a cracked pot for Jesus. Yeah, I, I know. Yeah, we, we, we are, we, we're, we're there. We're, we're saying, oh Lord. I, I mean, just so much, so many times. Oh God, if only. He said, my strength's made perfect in weakness. So, so he chooses all these broken guys and gives them this greatest commission you'll ever have. And it's not just to them, it's but to all who will ever follow. It's the same commission as the Father sent me, so I send you. Broken or not. Brings me to my second point. Sent to do what? In John 6, 38 to 40, Jesus tells us why he came. He says, For I've come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all of those he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my, for my father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life. And I will raise them up the last day. We have that same commission. We have our calling sent as Jesus was sent is to do the will of the Father. It's to do the will of the Father, not our own will. 
as people who've been born again and baptized, we're people who've been forgiven of their sin and shame. We're a people who are hidden in Christ, clothed with his righteousness, broken and yet have a treasure on the inside that has absolutely transformed us. We're a people who've chosen to deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow Jesus every day. We're a people who live for Jesus. We live to serve his purposes in our day. And that gets worked out in the way we live our lives. Seeking to live in obedience to everything Jesus commanded. That shapes the way we behave. All our values, the way we bring up our children. Every facet of our lives. Everything's changed when we believe in Jesus. All our motives, all the purposes of life. It's like stepping into our destiny. And our destiny is to do the will of the Father. And it's no hardship. It can be costly, but it's no hardship. It's a joy. To do the will of the Father is a privilege. And that's our calling. Nothing less. Our being sent gets gets worked out as we make Jesus and the love of God known to our friends and to our family. To those we work with and to those we come in contact with on a regular basis. Jesus also made it plain to us what he sent us to do when he, he went into the synagogue. We've actually sung it this morning. He goes to the synagogue and he reads from the scroll of Isaiah. What we know as Isaiah 61. I just want to read that to you from Luke 4, 16 to 23. These verses I'm about to read to you shape Jubilee's vision. This sits at the foundation of all our vision. It says of Jesus, he went to Nazareth where he'd been brought up. And on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue as was his custom. And he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him, and unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, he sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. That's just awesome. That's, that's awesome. He said, that was spoken by Isaiah. That's written down. I am the fulfillment of, of that. That's why I came. That's why the Father sent me. But that commission goes, he gives us that same commission and the same authority. Wow. He anoints us, he sends us to do the same as him. We are to take the gospel and the coming of the king, sorry, we're to take the gospel of the coming kingdom of God and the good news of Jesus to a suffering world. Where brokenness and injustice are the order of the day and where sin holds the world captive and keeps people separate from God. 
We live in a world where tragedy is commonplace and evil seems often to have the upper hand. But the whole world, from Teesside to the ends of the earth, is our mission field. Every one of us. We're part of this. It's not just for a few, oh, they're called to that. No, this is the whole church. This is not just Jubilee. This is the church. This is our calling. This is what we're here for. This is why we're on planet Earth. To do the will of the Father. So to my last point, how are we going to do it? How can we do the works that Jesus did? How can we play our part in making Jesus and the love of God known to every people group on the earth? If we look at the state of the world, the pain, the suffering, the injustice, we can feel totally overwhelmed. I know I do at times. I'm an avid watcher of news. Just find myself watching lots of news. And it's interesting if you, if you watch BBC News and then Sky News, but then Al Jazeera or CNN and other, you get different perspectives on the world news. It's very interesting to see how, how it's spun depending on which part of the world you come from. But one thing is common all the way through. The world's a mess. It's a mess. It's not pretty. Everything about it. Everything about it. Is overwhelming. I find it so. When I get overwhelmed by world events and stuff, I I find I need to get myself with the Lord and I need to pray. And at such times, I need to read the Bible and remind myself of the truth. I need to remind myself of my calling. I need to remind myself of what Jesus said. I need to remind myself of the end of what's coming because the end is not in doubt. Jesus is coming again and he's coming for a glorious church. Every eye will see him. We have to remind ourselves of these truths. Otherwise, we can get overwhelmed by gloom and despondency and brokenness. And we can sit there like the disciples were sitting there thinking, oh, it's all gone wrong. Well, you know what? When I read the Bible, I find it hasn't all gone wrong. We have good news to tell the world, don't we? Don't we? We've heard another testimony today. We keep hearing testimonies all the time. We have good news to share about Jesus. Things are not hopeless, are they? I'm not convinced. You're convinced. (laughs) It's about faith. Our confidence is in God, our confidence is in Jesus, in his finished work on the cross. And we need to understand, he said, all authority in heaven and on earth is being given to me. And he says, now I, I'm giving you that same authority to go and do the will of the Father. But we need to be convinced. We need to be sure, you know, it's like, well, I, I hope, I, I remember I, I was most troubled and it's not a church, you know, so I, I heard the news of a, a, a small group leader who was leading a group and somebody in the group said, are you, are you sure you will be with the Lord when you die? And he says, well, I'm not sure really, but I'm hoping I will. That is not faith. Faith has confidence in our God. Are you confident of the good news you share? Otherwise, there's no point sharing it. 
Are you confident that Jesus is the only answer for the sin of the world? Are you confident of that? Yeah, well, if we're confident of that, then actually we have good news to share then. Yeah? Are we confident that there's hope instead of hopelessness available? There's hope. There's hope for our world. There's hope for our nation. There's hope for Teesside, isn't there? Or are the prophetic words just words? Just a bit to get us going. Oh, that would be nice, wouldn't it? See Teesside transformed by the gospel. To, to, to see the power of... of, of, of um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, poverty spirit broken. Well, that would be nice, wouldn't it? No, no, it's not just nice. It's going to be because the gospel works. Because actually what we're called to do is to do the will of the Father is to bring the gospel to Teesside, all the nation and the ends of the earth. That's our calling. It isn't just about Jubilee, it's the church. And we have a gospel to proclaim and we needn't be timid about it or shy about it. It works. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, says Paul. For it is the power of God for salvation. Let's, let's have confidence. Let's proclaim it. There is hope in the midst of hopelessness. There's hope for our family and friends. There's hope for our work colleagues. There's hope for our schools. There's hope for our neighbors. There's hope for the unloved and the lost. There's hope for those who are suffering, whether it be physically, medically, emotionally. There's hope, and his name is Jesus. The good news is that God so loves our world in all of its mess that he sent his one and only son to bring us back into right relationship with God as our father. As we're heading towards Easter, we celebrate the good news of a cruel cross. But it is good news. Celebrate the good news of a cruel cross where this perfect son of God, this Jesus, died for the sin of the whole world so that all who put their trust in him will be set free from their sin and shame. No longer will they be separate from God. They can know God as their father with all the blessings and the joy that comes from that loving daddy relationship. Abba, God is not afar off, he's right here. And he loves us with an everlasting love. You're called to purpose, you're called to to effectiveness, you're called to do the will of the Father. And you know what, as we proclaim Christ, there is hope. There is hope. (coughs) And so how how are we to have the courage to tell people the good news? Because I'm a wuss. I'm no hero. You know, you meet some people who are real heroes, like Jonathan Knight. You know what I mean? Just heroes. Naturally dynamic and vibrant and, you know what I mean? The guys who've gone to solve, I'll sort that for you. You know, those sort of people. I'm not like that. I'm the guy hiding in the corner. You know, I'm hiding behind the cupboard. It's my temperament. You know, I'm, I'm timid, I'm shy, I'm... I'm, I'm, that's my natural makeup, a bit of a wuss. Any, any wusses in the room? Help, help me. Am I the only wuss? God, there's not many of you. That's really worrying. That's just me. 
and my daughter who takes after me, obviously. Um, See, I'm just, apart from Peter, who seemed to be the guy who would jump in and think afterwards, most of the disciples are just broken guys. That's just broken guys. Hiding from the Jews. All being wusses. Wusses? Yeah. What's the plural of being a wuss? Wusses. So how are we to have the words then? And why will people listen to us anyway? Well, listen again to what Jesus said. He says, Shalom. Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. We can never hope to do the works of Jesus in human strength and gifting. Try as we may, we will always fail in the end. All of our schemes we can come up with will not of themselves ever transform society. We need to receive the Holy Spirit and be filled with the Holy Spirit every day. It says that Jesus breathed on them. He breathed on them. And said, receive the Holy Spirit. I have no doubt that that was an encounter moment. It might have been a warm, fuzzy moment. You know those moments when you're aware of the presence of God? I think it was a touch of what was to come. A touch from God gives you hope, you know. You can be going through the mill and you can hear people preach sermons and say, that's very nice. And then God goes, and you, you have a moment and it becomes real. Do, do you know what I'm talking about? This was one of those moments when it became real. Oh. This wasn't Pentecost. He just said, receive the touch of the Holy Spirit. It's like a taste of what's to come. You know, we can often have God encounters where we we get touched. John Wimber said many are touched but few are changed. We can be in a meeting and we can Oh, do you feel that? Being baptized in the Holy Spirit is not about warm, fuzzy feelings or all of that. Being baptized in the Holy Spirit is to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit indwelling you and gifting you for ministry and service. Okay? It's an equipping moment. It's a transforming moment. It's not necessarily a warm, fuzzy moment. Although there may be experiences of who knows with God. You see, Jesus had not yet been glorified and the Holy Spirit had not yet been poured out, as Joel says, on all flesh. It wasn't poured out in his fullness for all to receive. It, it, it was not at that moment they became effective because if you read later in Acts, they're still away, locked away in another room, in the upper room, waiting, waiting. But then when they're in that other room, 
suddenly there's this sound of a violent blowing wind and there's there's tongues of fire appear on the head and now all of them are filled with the Holy Spirit and in that moment are changed. In that moment, the weak become strong. In that moment, the timid become bold. In that moment, everything changes. We need to understand to be filled with the Holy Spirit changes you. It opens you. It gives you courage where you wouldn't have courage. And so you know God is in me. He is amazing. He is the one. It's not just, oh, I spoke in tongues once. It's not just to be able to bring a tongue and interpretation on a Sunday. I love all of that. It's not just to be able to have a prophetic word. It's to be effective. Men and women living for Jesus, doing the will of the Father wherever we find ourselves. That's what the baptism in the Holy Spirit is all about. Interestingly, it was only after that upper room experience at Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit was poured out in his fullness, that everything changed for the disciples. And you know what? He's been poured out. He's never been taken away. We don't have to wait for him to be poured out again. He's here this morning. He wants to fill every believer and empower them to do the will of the Father. In Acts 2.37, after Peter had preached this amazing sermon, in the power of the Holy Spirit, all those listening came under deep conviction of the Holy Spirit and cried out, what shall we do? And Peter replies, and this is important, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's not like you might, and you will. He's here for you, and you will receive. You ask, it says, everyone who asks receives. Receive the baptism, the gift of the Holy Spirit by faith. It's a promise from God. It's a gift of God. He is poured out. He's here this morning. He is for you. And so from the moment we're filled with the Holy Spirit, this little wuss... This little boy who, talking of me now, who wouldn't say boo to anybody and would cry so easily. I can stand here and preach my heart out in the power of the Holy Spirit, not in my natural strength. You see, what happens is you think, wow, look at that, aren't they amazing? No, God's amazing. God's amazing. See, God can speak through a donkey so he can speak through me. God's amazing. He's the one who's poured out. He's the one who fills us. He's the one who enables us. And he called me to preach. And to teach. And that's my calling. And I do it gladly because it's the will of the Father for me. To make the truth known to whoever will listen. Full of the Spirit. The ongoing, infilling, empowering, enabling of the Holy Spirit is the only way for the church to get the job done. I'm not against plans and schemes. People think I am. No, I'm not. But they'll only be effective when we are filled to overflowing with God himself, the third person of the Trinity. We were at Paul and Jill's for a meal on Friday night, and um, I've been pondering Acts 6 for a little while, and Paul had this word out of Acts 6, which is great. It's about the seven people who are chosen to serve food at tables. I mean, how would you choose people to serve food at tables? Do you think you could manage that? Here's a plate. 
have some food. Do you think you could manage that? What's the criteria for choosing these seven guys? Men full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. What, a stick a plate under somebody's nose? You see, God looks for everything we do to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. It's not just the spiritual people who do the work and and other people do the service. I don't care if you're putting chairs out on Sunday mornings. You need to be full of the Holy Spirit and full of wisdom. I don't care if you're setting up the PA system. We need to be full of the Holy Spirit and full of wisdom. And if you go on to read Acts 6, as Paul pointed out to me so wonderfully... And the word of God grew and exploded. And these guys who were serving tables became powerhouses in God, doing the will of the Father. We need to be full of the Holy Spirit. And and so we will not only have the words to speak and the power to heal the sick and do the works of Jesus, we will also see that as we speak, the Holy Spirit is working with us. He opens people's ears to truth. He brings conviction of sin. So actually, not only does he equip me to speak to you, he equips you to hear me and hear the words that I'm saying. It's the Holy Spirit who's at work in the listeners as well as the speakers. Just about done. And so we go where we're sent with confidence, full of the Holy Spirit. And the sending starts wherever we find ourselves, day by day. We're sent into our communities. We're sent into our places of work. We're sent to our neighbors where we live. We're sent to our families. And on occasions, we're sent to the ends of the earth. But every one of us are sent. When you go home from this place, you are sent home. When you go to work tomorrow, you are sent there to do the will of the Father. That's to to bring the good news of Jesus. Now you need wisdom with that and all of that, but that's our calling. That's what it means to be an apostolic people. As we minister and seek to make the gospel known wherever we find ourselves, so we need to learn just how much authority we have. This is clearly a talk for another day. But Jesus seems to be saying that the sent church has amazing authority to declare sins forgiven or otherwise. Now that can be a controversial subject and I don't want to unpack it today. The point I'm trying to make is that so often we the church fail to realize that the authority Jesus has given us is the same authority he has. I believe with all my heart that the church is to take the lead in society. Believe with all my heart that the church is to set the tone in the nation and speak the truth. We do that, of course, full of grace and the power of the Holy Spirit. But if all authority is being given to Jesus and he delegates that to us and empowers us with his Holy Spirit, then we can expect to make a huge difference wherever we find ourselves. To make a huge difference in society, to make a huge difference in the workplace, to make a huge difference in the school. And it's as we proclaim him, the name of our risen king. And so just as the father sent Jesus to save the world, so Jesus sends us, broken as we are, to proclaim his finished work on the cross. To see society, to see Teesside, and see the whole world transformed. The secret, to be filled and filled 
and filled with the Holy Spirit every day. And if you're born again, and if you've been baptized, then you can receive right now the Holy Spirit fresh. I'd like you all to stand, please. I'd like the band to come back. I would like you, if you will, to raise your hands. Close your eyes. Get ready. Just, just raise your hand. Get before God. Everyone who asks 